And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, as well as the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible shows like the MarTech Podcast hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. The MarTech Podcast is all about maximum value in 30 minutes or less. The MarTech Podcast shares stories from world-class marketers who use technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success all on your lunch break. If you like any of these topics, you're going to love the MarTech Podcast. Some of the topics are zeroing in on the ideal product price point, identifying loyalty plays for smart marketers, finding the line between sales and marketing and SaaS, extending the lifetime value of your customer. If these are topics that are interesting to you, go check out the MarTech Podcast hosted by Ben Shapiro, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Nahal Advani. He is the founder and CEO of Qualsight. Nahal is a product and marketing expert. He spent his teenage years as an internationally ranked tennis player. However, after a college internship at Google, he followed his passion for technology. Upon graduation, he joined Microsoft, where he spent time in various marketing and data roles on high-profile teams such as Search or Bing, Display, and Microsoft Media Network. He left Microsoft, combined his entrepreneurial spirit and passion and interest in seeing and understanding the world by launching Qualsites, which is an immersive insights platform. They work with Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, Fortune 100. Uh, They help companies understand human behavior authentically and efficiently at scale. So we spoke about his entrepreneurial journey, leaving Microsoft to start his own company. His first version of Qualsites was actually a travel software company, uh, and it pivoted and he iterated a couple times before he got to Qualsites. So we spoke about his first version of entrepreneurship, leaving Microsoft, hiring a dev shop, some lessons learned there, moonlighting at Microsoft so that he could bootstrap the business, um, all these great entrepreneurial stories and some ideas and hopefully insights for you if you're going to start your own thing, how you can do it and not get screwed by your dev shop, not worry about funding or financing or going to find money. Uh, He built out a company properly from the ground up without any outside capital at the beginning. We also uh, spoke about some of the things that Qualsites does, which is uh, consumer insights and market research. They do this for some of the largest brands in the world. So some thoughts on consumer insights, how to get consumer insights, how to apply them, some market research trends that some of the largest companies are looking for in consumer behavior. So if you do have customers, if you do have a CPG startup or you have a CPG company, Uh, He works with some of the largest ones in the world. So he has some great ideas on what you should look for and how you should be 
using and understanding consumer data and consumer behavior. Then we spoke about some lessons that he's learned building Qualsites, some of the innovation frameworks that he uses for his R&D teams, considering the fact that before Qualsites, there was a couple other companies he built out. Although he pivoted a few times, each one of those companies was successful in their own right. So he has a great framework for innovation. We spoke about some product development best practices that have set Qual sites ahead of the pack. We spoke about financing and fundraising. Uh, he's only taken on 3.5 million in 10 years. So how did he do that? How did he build his company without much external capital? And then uh, lastly, we spoke about how Qual sites achieved that hockey stick growth. How did they find that product market fit and how did they scale? So let's jump right into it. This is Nahal Advani. He is the founder and CEO of Qual sites. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to start my own business, right? Uh, so in college, I dreamt about it a lot, uh, thought about it a gazillion ideas. Uh, every single day I was writing something down. Um, but then I decided I wasn't ready yet. And I went to, to Microsoft and said, I was an intern at Google, decided to join Microsoft when I graduated and kind of said, I'd kind of learn the ropes, you know, go to a bigger company, kind of get more experience under my belt and then kind of start my own thing. So five years into Microsoft is when I quit. And, um, uh, it's kind of funny because we started off being uh, very different from what we're today. We weren't even called the same thing. We were called Georama, uh, and uh, we were travel startups. So I quit Microsoft to launch a travel startup, and today, as you know, we're called Call Sites, and we're uh, an insights, a consumer insights, uh, you know, software. So uh, quite a big pivot along the way. In fact, a couple of pivots along the way. But yeah, why? Um, so you you were you're you're like you're an engineer, right? That's you were working at Microsoft. No, oh, I, you're not. Okay. I was actually on the marketing side. I was always a techie kind of guy. But I was yeah. never. Uh, I wanted to do a you know a double major in computer science uh, while I was in college, but I was a <laughs> tennis player, and so I only could choose one. I picked business. Very but, good. Uh, okay, so you got so you okay so you were in very technical companies, but you weren't technical yourself. So your non-technical yeah. co-founder. Um, yeah. So what was the you mentioned like Qualsites has gone through all these different iterations and all these different versions and whatnot. So what was the the the, the first company you started? Uh, why why did you go into travel? What was the logic behind that? And how did you feel comfortable jumping ship and going into a company that you've in an industry you've never worked in before? Yeah, yeah, it was a uh... It's quite interesting. I mean, my family's always been a big travel family. We've traveled a lot ever since I was young. You know, we took a couple trips a year and uh, it was something that was just ingrained in me. I love traveling uh, even as I grew up by myself and being here. Uh, and uh, I just thought, you know, hey, you know, why not combine both my, my entrepreneurial kind of itch as well as my, my passion for traveling and kind of build something that didn't exist. And so if you think of, you know, it's honestly, I don't think it still exists right now, but uh, it's hard to make money doing that. Hence, we pivoted. But if you think of, you know, travel in the space, you've got TripAdvisor that's fantastic at travel planning. However, it's fantastic at travel planning when you know where you want to go. So it'll tell you a great amount of things on what to do. Uh, you've got, of course, uh, you know, the, all kinds of booking engines and the you know, meta search engines and stuff. And then, of course, you've got these social platforms that help you share your trip. But there was no company, at least then and perhaps even now, that helps you kind of find where to go really well. It's Google. It's your friends. It's, you know, things you've heard. And so there's a lot of this back and forth searching or discussion. And that's how you find it nowadays, you know, with other kind of media mediums, I'm sure. But uh, for us, it was a recommendation engine that was built based on high-level criteria saying, okay, I want to go with my friends. I want to go to a place that has adventure and nightlife. I have a budget of X. I want weather of Y. Uh, where can I go? And so that kind of high-level recommendation engine that helped people kind of plot things on a map, see where they could go visually, 
then dig in to see the things to do, and then also book it. So our, our trademark at the time was plan, book, share. It was really all three things, but with the unique spin being on A, the fact that it was um, you know more like at the higher level of the early stage of the journey, and then B, having an all-in-one platform to kind of do it all in one place. And so that's the kind of opportunity we saw. And uh, it was really my passion that uh, decided, like, is what kind of drove me to doing this. And when you started this, so you're building out a recommendation engine, which I'm sure is not an easy task. So even getting started in this, uh, walk me through the leaving of leaving of corporate, moving into startup. Did you... Like, did you bootstrap? Did you go find funding? Did you have some money saved? You hired a developer? I think that point in somebody's life is one of the most interesting points because how people tackle it is, uh, it's a very, everybody tackles it differently. But walk me through your sort of startup journey into this. Yeah, that was quite tricky. I mean, I started off while, while moonlighting at Microsoft, right? So in my own free time at nights, I would kind of do this. And uh, while I was technical in that, you know, I'd done some stuff even just... At Microsoft, I'd build like visual basic tools and stuff for Excel. Like I just figured it out because I, I had that inclination. I was still not a coder, like uh, that would code this thing myself. So I had to find people. And so I found a couple of folks out um, in India in the beginning and kind of worked with them. And uh, they were full-time on the company. I was part-time. So it's kind of funny now when we celebrate anniversaries, they're like one year ahead of me, which is kind of strange because uh, it took me a year to quit Microsoft, but I funded it myself. So I self-funded. It was something I was lucky in my last couple of roles at Microsoft. I had got, got some nice bonuses saved up and so kind of use that um, to kind of initially fund the business and then uh, the day I quit uh, it was uh, basically in 2012 um, uh, I actually had just raised our first 250k from friends and family and that's what allowed me to quit awesome and so awesome. it was a combination of bootstrapping for a little while building the product on the side and then uh, taking the jump when I had uh, some initial investment so you didn't even you didn't even go for a technical co-founder you fully outsourced you hired how did you not get screwed by the developers that you hired not being a developer yourself so interestingly enough when I first started this very few people noticed um, I started off with a contract like a outsourced kind of firm for the first couple of months and you know I had heard good things about them and they were good in certain ways but in other ways they weren't and so very quickly, I started to realize that like this is moving kind of slow. At least I feel it's moving slow. So I hired a guy full-time directly for our company who was in the same city to go and oversee them and see, like, hey, are they going to be any good or do we need to bring this in-house? And fairly quickly, we, he realized and he confirmed, like, no, we got to bring this in-house. And so within three months, I believe it was, we switched to kind of having a whole in-house operation. It was my people working directly for me uh, with people I trust. And, you know, obviously that's how we kind of avoided any of the, the, the challenges that a lot of people face. Sometimes people get lucky and they, they do well with that kind of model. Other times um, they have a challenge because for as a startup, you're like a tiny kind of fish, right? Yeah. As a, If someone's a dev shop on the other end, they have all of these deals, some of them hopefully big ones for them. But then when a startup comes in with a small kind of idea, they're going to put their typically put their uh, you know lowest developers on it and not really pay back as much attention to you because you don't you know make that much money for them. Uh, and that's where we luckily found that quick and switched to having our own fully in-house operation, which is what allowed us to, to be successful. Very, very smart. Um, I've never heard of somebody doing that. I've heard of a lot of people getting screwed by dev shops, but I've never heard of somebody <laughs> hiring somebody in the city where they're at to go like audit the dev shop. That's very good. Um, <laughs> that was my last try, right? I wanted, yeah. I still wanted to give them a try. Yeah. And they also were taken back like, wait, you're going to have somebody come sit with us? I'm like, yeah, I mean, either that or we, we kind of part ways now. And so... They allowed it, and uh, you know, luckily we we found out that you know it was the right call to just move it in house, and I'm so glad we did. You know, 
we've that's been a major advantage for years now to have our own yeah. tech team and have a so, such a strong tech team. It's, a, um, it's an argument so. against the gig economy, uh, <laughs> for sure, a little <laughs> bit at least. Um, okay, so okay, so you quit after you quit after a year. You joined, mm -hmm. and then uh, so what happened with that company? Why didn't it work out? Because it sounds like a great idea. You're right. I don't even think it still exists. So was it like no product market fit? Was addressable market too small? Uh, what like what was the life cycle of that company? It was. It was the, the problem was uh, the revenue model per se, right? So we actually at one point had a couple hundred thousand users. We won TechCrunch a couple times. I mean, we were starting to get kind of known again, smaller, not known, known, right? But. It was, it was in terms of usage, it was growing in terms of platform. It was really cool, very different, visually very different as well. It was completely interactive on a map, even back then in 2012. However, um, it was really how you made money. So, of course, if you had millions of users someday, you have other types of revenue opportunities like advertising. But really, the, the core revenue model for us and us being a Chicago company, not a well, you know, um, like we, we've over the course of our company not raised some money, but not raised too much, you know. So it was not something where we had boatloads of cash that we could go out and market the heck out of this thing. And so we were doing as much guerrilla marketing efforts as we could. And uh, if you think of travel in general, the way you make money, unless, again, you're a big company with lots of millions of users and can do advertising, is booking. With booking, you've got the Expedias and the bookings and the kayaks of the world, and it is a you know it's a commodity at this point. Like people are always price comparing. I'm sure we all do this all the time. And so when you're looking at, even though we were actually behind the scenes working with Expedia and working with several other APIs to kind of have our, our prices and keep them as low as pretty much anyone had, um, as a new user who didn't know the startup and was looking at let's say a $200 hotel room on Girama versus a $200 hotel room on Expedia booking. They're going to pick Expedia Booking more likely because those are brands that they re recognize. Those are brands that they've actually you know can perhaps have better support and all of those things. And so we were getting a lot of people planning on our pl platform, but then going somewhere else to booking, mm -hmm. and that wasn't really working well for us revenue-wise. And that's why we pivoted. I understood. And and what were some of those guerrilla marketing things? that you were doing that were obviously not spending millions of dollars in ad money. Um, yeah. Walk me through some of those and which ones worked, which ones didn't. You know, it was interesting. We actually did a lot of social uh, back then. This was like early, earlier days of social compared to now and you didn't have many of the platforms you have now, but uh, Facebook uh, was something we tried. We actually won in, in travel. We won the best social media uh, startup in travel award. Wow. I remember, I think it was my skift. Um, we also won Cranes, uh, Chicago's best social media startup award. Like, so we had done some interesting things with Facebook, um, which was essentially, we tried a bunch of different types of posts, but what we found was a way to kind of get like a daily dose of inspiration was you combine a great unique picture, right? We had curators that would find these cool pictures and kind of show people, but you ask them a trivia question. Hmm. And when you, like we tried so many different variations, different things, but the thing that was very clear, like data was way better was if you ask them a question of like, can you guess where this is, for example, and then show them a really cool picture that inspires them at the same time. The the likes and the comments and stuff, the interactions were off the charts. And so that allowed us to get some really nice usage from folks like that who found us on Facebook and then kind of got to our, our platform and we did other sorts of things as well. But uh, that was, I think, one of the interesting ones. Very interesting. Okay. So as uh, this was growing, but obviously, uh, and you won awards, you were in, in, you got some press and some PR, but it didn't really work out. So I can still see though, that this is like the, the roots of, of consumer insights. Like you're getting information, you're figuring out, and, and this is, you know, the, the Qualsites is not that far away from how it started, really, if you think about it. Like, 
if you think about it, and not when you just say it right up front, it sounds like, wait, what? Yeah. But if you think of my... I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Original passion, right? It was all about helping myself as well right i was i was i was one of the prospective users but also helping just people in general see and understand the world why do you travel you travel to explore the world right to see other things see new things that expose new things and also understand culture understand other humans and behavior and all those kinds of things and so i always had that passion and when we pivoted we actually pivoted two times uh, to get to here so we had a travel startup then we actually pivoted to virtual travel which is another thing right within travel before we went to insights. But all of these three things were, um, you know, all what is, connected by, you know. <laughs> what is virtual travel? <laughs> this is this is like pre-metaverse. So I don't I don't know what virtual travel it is. is. It is. It's so funny, right? People talk about, I mean, metaverse is a bit different. Uh, but so this is pre-Meerkat, pre-Periscope, pre-Facebook uh, yeah. Live. We actually now finally got a pattern on this just last year, seven years later, uh, where we were the first to kind of do 
allow somebody to travel somewhere virtually without physically being there. So the way it worked is you had guides, local guides, whether it was actually official tour guides, which we had many, or whether it was um, you know just locals in the city or even travelers in the, in the city happening to be travel. We allowed them to share their experiences live. So not recorded videos. These were live videos. That's why it was pre all of like live is such a big thing now in today's world. But in 2014, when we were doing this, it wasn't a thing. And so we basically allowed people to virtually and remotely not just see what's going on somewhere else through somebody else, but it was all mobile where somebody was walking around in that city and you could also kind of tailor your experience by saying, hey, can you turn left and show me this? So can you kind of do show me that or whatever it may be, right? So it was a very interactive experience. Um, and it was really unique in that our goal was, you know, when we realized, okay, why were, why, it was hard. We realized the whole financial model wouldn't work and even though we had users and stuff, but then we were like, you know, who, what are companies in, in, in the travel industry that have actually broken out? Kayak was one, you know, a few years before we started was, well, they started out at Kayak and Airbnb, you know, like a new way of, you know, searching for, for stuff. And then with Airbnb, a new inventory source. And we're like, what can we do if we try to stay within travel, but be truly unique? And that's what we came up with. We're like, well, you know, folks like you and me, we're privileged in that we have got to see, you know, quite a bit of the world and et cetera. But there's so many other folks out there in this world that actually would want to go places, but don't get a chance to go or don't get a chance to go as much, whether it's because of financial reasons or sometimes it's logistical or even physical reasons. And so that was kind of that, that uh, there. it was super exciting because we were doing something truly incredibly unique. Um, and we did it beyond B2C. We very quickly realized B2C was going to be hard because we had the same challenges in monetization. We had some interesting ideas in monetization. In fact, Amazon, by the way, recently just started a, a thing that is almost like an exact thing of what we were doing in 2014. It's kind of funny, Amazon travel. Um, I think they're piloting it, you know, how they pilot different things. We'll see how it does. But point is, um, we had different ways to kind of tip guides and have private tours and stuff like that. But we realized, you know, this is going to be a very strong thing for B2B. And that's why we started to do B2B. We worked with tourism organizations like State of Illinois, State of Michigan were clients of ours, for example. We worked with uh, various different hotels for things like site inspections. So going to see a hotel for like an event per se, or even like things like we have worked with a wind farm in Australia for inspections in the wind farm. So all kinds of reasons. We even worked with NASA for virtual field trips for kids yeah. uh, who couldn't go there. And they wanted Incredible, like a yeah. you know, virtual field trip to NASA or even museums. You have many museum clients. So it was really unique. And we started to make some money there. But there too, because we had all of these different industries, right? We had tourism. We had government. We had education. We had others um, that we were like, this is great. There's definitely something here. We've got strong tech, but we haven't really found product market fit or found that one industry that we can really own. We're trying to be jack of all trades. And that's why we made that final pivot uh, to qual sites. Okay. That makes, okay. So, but, but you, you pivoted to qual sites, but you could have just, why did you not just double down on one industry? Why did you choose to pivot even like the brand, like the company name that's, that's major. Yeah, so when we were looking at these, and we were doing a few different things, right? So we were doing these few different verticals I just mentioned. Uh, this one time, one of our advisors connected us to this other uh, potential investor. And within a day, he gave us you know, a 25K check because he was like, you know what? I'm a researcher, and I think your, your, your technology could be interesting for research, for ethnography, mm -hmm. for helping people understand consumer behavior without physically visiting a home. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. So that's how kind of the idea popped into our mind. In 2017, when we realized, like, listen, we were kind of doing this and just, like, not going the way we wanted to. But, I mean, it was not going bad, but it was not going great. We're like, we need to figure it out and we need to kind of hone in on one vertical. We got into 500 startups out of the valley. And in that journey, what we did was, like, unlike other startups, we were kind of a little bit later stage going into 500 startups, considering we had a great product and all the stuff, we had some revenue. But 
we didn't have the right market. And so we used that program single-handedly focused. We took seven different verticals, including insights being one of them at the time, to then kind of do some real tests and real, some real market testing and conversations and a whole bunch of things that they taught us there uh, to determine what market it would be that we would focus on. And insights was thrown into the hat because that one investor at once dropped a check really quickly. We're like, oh, there must, there must be something <laughs> let's, here. Let's just try and it out. <laughs> and when we did those tests, like we did, a, for example, email kind of, not email marketing, but like almost like sales email sequencing that's quite common nowadays, but like automated sales emails to kind of see what message is working. And it was a night and day with, with compared to other industries. Like, the insights folks really, it was resonating. Our message was resonating. We spoke to a whole bunch of industry experts, got some more investors as part of that. Like we just talking to people and they were getting excited about what we're doing. We're like, there's something here and they've got real money. These CPG companies, for example, and pharma companies have real money. Um, they have a real pain point that we can solve uh, about being able to do research more efficiently yet being doing deep research. Um, and that's how the, the whole you know, final change came to kind of hone in into, into insights. Okay, so then, okay, perfect. So then that brings us up to, to Qualsight. So what, so like elevator pitch, what does Qualsight actually do for a company? Yeah, so what we are is a basically a consumer insights platform that allows them to understand consumer behavior, but in a much more authentic way than before. In that, these brands can see consumers, how they cook or clean or shop or eat while they're doing it. Now, initially, when we got into it, we were doing it live because we'd built a super strong industrial-grade live video technology. But over time, what's happened is we've gone beyond just live. People can do it recorded at their own time. They can do not just videos, but also photos, audios, all these different moments that they can capture that allows brands to basically set up these tasks and activities for consumers to do. They go out and do them at their pace. They're picked based on, for example, their demographic, psychographic, geographic uh, behavior or, or, or uh, data. And once they're in a project, instead of going to a focus group, for example, the typical way to do qualitative research was to go into a focus group uh, facility and kind of talk about, you know, certain things. Uh, but that was all based on recall, right? It's like saying, hey, you know, three weeks ago, last yeah. week when you went to the store, what did you notice first and why? And you have no memory because you don't, you know, hold that kind of information. With this, it's all as it happens, behavior focused, contextual. And along that ability to capture data more in the moment, it's all about analyzing that data much faster because that's another challenge with qualitative or unstructured data is how do you analyze that quickly? Uh, quant, on the other hand, quantitative like surveys are very structured, super easy to analyze and scale, calls hard. Through a suite of AI tools, we're helping that process also be very efficient. And so in a nutshell, we help brands capture that data, analyze that data, and present that data all in one place with a variety of different methodologies to get deep and authentic insights. Incredible. So then what, what are some, um, some learnings that have, have you pulled out of, of looking at do, doing this research this way? What, is, what are some things that brands have discovered from consumers that, uh, for example, they wouldn't have been able to know without Qualsites? I mean, there's a tremendous amount of things. We work with many Fortune 1000 brands on all, every week, right? Multiple times a week uh, on a variety of different projects. I can't obviously disclose specific uh, no, details. No, 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 but no, of course. Yeah, yeah. We've helped with things like, uh, you know, new product innovations. We've helped launch new product innovations. We've helped, I can give you an example. Like um, there was a brand, again, I can't name names, but um, Fortune, you know, uh, 100 brand that basically uh, had an anti-dandruff product that uh, was looking to kind of uh, build, uh, they'd kind of built new innovations to kind of focus on heavy versus light sufferers of dandruff, right? But they didn't, and prior to that, they hadn't kind of distinguished those. So they didn't realize how a heavy dandruff sufferer versus a light dandruff sufferer 
perceived their brand or perceived their category, right? And so using our platform, they were able to kind of get into the minds of consumers by having, again, two groups of consumers, one with light, one with heavy dandruff, and seeing how their flare-ups were different, getting a diary on their day-to-day over seven days, a variety of different activities around what products they use, how they use them, how often they use them, so on and so forth. And based on that understanding, then launch different messaging to the two different groups to try and see what resonated well. And based on that feedback, optimize that messaging and then launch those innovations. So that was an example of how they improve messaging through understanding consumer behavior and perception. We've done many things where we've even had an interesting project I remember quite fondly is we had uh, you know, uh, this cereal uh, brand, again, top you know, Fortune 500 cereal brand that was basically uh, looking to launch new cereal, uh, but they wanted to kind of talk to kids. Mm-hmm. And typically, if you do an interview with kids, hey, I mean, there's legal stuff, you have to have parents around and all that's fine, but... If, if I'm a stranger interviewing a kid, um, that kid's going to, you know, obviously very likely not be that genuine with me or going to be shy or nervous or whatever it may be because they don't know you. But uh, with our app, it allowed the parent themselves to kind of sit next to the kid and show them these concepts and have them react to these new potential innovations. These weren't even real. They were just ideas on a on an image, basically, different kind of images. And... Um, the kids, of course, found it more like, like a game and they were giving their candid thoughts and it was like beautiful to see. Um, and that allowed them to actually build and iterate on a new product. Um, so those are just a couple examples, but we have many more things that we do even in store or post use like consumption and so on. And, and as you obviously you're, you're now heavily involved in this industry. So what are some like what are some trends like what do what do companies actually pay attention to in terms of like their consumers and the behavior what matters to companies now or what rather said differently what should matter if you uh if you aren't looking at these things or or certain consumer trends what should you start looking at yeah i mean i think as time goes by more and more companies are realizing how important it is to truly understand their consumer and their customers behavior right um not just in the traditional ways yes you know surveys have been around forever and those are used quite heavily but much beyond that because a, a survey gives you like the what yeah. But it rarely gives you the why, right? It gives you structured data, scalable data, but it's not really giving you that much depth and context. So to answer the why, there's no better way than talking to your consumers. Talking to your consumers, however, is an expensive, time-consuming, you know, painful process, labor-intensive. And that's where our, our platform comes in to help you understand the consumer behavior, understand their minds without necessarily spending that much time and effort because it's so efficient in terms of how you capture and how you analyze that data. And so in terms of trends, one big one, of course, over the last couple of years has been the pandemic, right? How do behaviors change, um, you know, and what what behaviors uh, are here to stay post-pandemic now that we're, you know, hopefully seeing, uh, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel here. Like what are uh, the behaviors that stick, you know? And we've actually done some inter- even internal studies on that where you know, there's people, have, including myself, developed all these quirks. Yeah. Like I still don't press an elevator button with my finger. Huh. I always use my elbow. It's just a thing that's, yeah. that's just a funny, simple example. But what else do I do? Do I clean more, right? Do, do people you know, do certain things with their food? Whatever. It may be different for each industry, but what are these behaviors that are here to stay um, that we've picked up over the last couple of years because things were so different? Uh, and that's a very important thing for, for brands to have their pulse on. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, if you're tired of slowing down your teams with clunky software, processes, and marketing that's difficult to scale, HubSpot is here to help you and your business grow better. 
With collaboration tools and built-in SEO optimizations, HubSpot CRM platform is tailor-made to help you scale your marketing with ease. Integrated calendars, tasks, and commenting help hybrid teams stay connected, while automated SEO recommendations intuitively optimize your web page content for increased organic traffic. Ditch the difficult and dial up your marketing with tools that are easy to use and easy to scale. Learn how your business can grow better at HubSpot.com. Now, let's. I want to. I want to pivot a little bit and speak to some of the lessons that you've learned in building out the company as well. So mm-hmm. this is this is incredibly interesting, and obviously this can be incredibly useful for brands. But this is something that I don't think really existed before you created it. Like I, I've never heard of another company that does this. So you, I, I understand the the how the company sort of came to be, and 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 the story behind the company. But when you're building something in a relatively, I guess, new industry, blue ocean. I don't know what the best word for this particular tool is, but mm-hmm. um, how did you, how did you innovate how did you how did you r&d this how did you create this so that it was useful for brands what's your process of iterating and improving and optimizing the actual tech behind uh behind qual sites yeah that's i think our biggest strength honestly that is our biggest strength that's why we're here today um it's where and we've done it multiple times right and all three things we had three unique products that had some you know underlying connectivity between them but completely different focuses and industries and uh, we still manage to be unique every time and be ahead of the competition and that's because um, you know we do ourselves I mean uh, we always know we can do more but when we got into the insights industry and did those sales tests back at final startups um, we started to learn and listen to our, our clients obviously we had an idea of what would be valuable so we kind of started with that and told them what we had and then kind of listened and we put our product out there we had them try it and we listen to feedback very, very, very much. And so we monitor how people are using the platform, but more importantly, ask. Like the, more than anything else, we're talking to our clients and encourage them, encouraging them to always give us feedback. And we, till today, we're pushing updates to our platform twice a week. So we're very, very fast in terms of how we iterate. And so we're always improving. Uh, sometimes, of course, there's these major updates. Other times it's smaller ones, but it's always, we're always kind of staying ahead of the game, always trying to think of what's next. Um, and a big, big part of that has been really uh, listening to our clients and at the same time, not really looking at competitors. You know, what we try not to do is not look at what else is out there, right? Uh, we actually, and this is something I've, I, th- I found has worked at least well for me personally, is both times it was industries I had no connection to, right? Yes, I had some passion, uh, but no connection to. Uh, but as I spoke to people, right, and in the, in the case of qualified speaking, speaking to customers, I was not a researcher, but I kind of gleaned so much that there's many times uh, in the future people ask me like, oh, you must be a researcher. And I'm like, no, not at all. You know, I'm just a good listener. Mm-hmm. But we listen and kind of take that in, but we don't have the biases. Like if I was a researcher, I think I wouldn't be able to have done this as well because then I would have kind of been blocked in some ways of, okay, this is what's normal. This is what's possible. I had no such baggage with me. And so therefore I could go into an industry, understand what clients need and build something because we had a very strong tech team and product uh, is our strength uh, and then see how it works and then keep building. And then, you know, once we had a certain stage, look at competition, see like, okay, where are we compared to the rest? And we were almost always ahead. Uh, and that's really where it was really cool to be able to, to do that just purely based on customer feedback and our own kind of ideas. And talk to me about uh, product development. Um, talk to me about some of the best practices that you've implemented, because obviously uh, product development um, has been key to your success. Uh, and this is something that I've 
I think you've sort of uh, shown again and again, but how do you how do you develop this product so that it does serve the needs of your customers? You said feedback loops are obviously important, but some other good like product mm-hmm. development um, learnings. Yeah, for us, I mean, we're always, uh, A, we're listening to customers like we talked about, but B, we are also monitoring how customers use things okay. to then come up with what's next. Uh, we're also always trying to figure out how can we do something better, right? Like for example, if you think of AI, um, over the last few years, if you, if 10 years ago, right, if you tried to kind of do what we're doing today, probably couldn't do it well, at least the other part, A, because, you know, maybe the smartphone penetration wasn't so high, and then B, uh, uh, in terms of the AI piece, that was actually something that AI has kind of progressed so much over the years. And so kind of keeping abreast of the latest technologies, keeping abreast of what we can do kind of to move the needle every single day or every single week um, is another key part of this to kind of understand, okay, hey, now that technology is getting better, we can help them take this unstructured data and do this and this and that with it uh, to actually make it much more fast for them to analyze that data. And we've kind of been able to use, you know, uh, piggyback off, um, you know, for example, a whole bunch of uh, innovations in AI. Let's talk about, for example, NLP uh, has been a big thing. Natural language processing, of course, has continually kind of improved. And you've got the big five, you know, uh, companies kind of working on it. So it's it's rare that you'll see a young startup that will come out and beat them at the core mm-hmm. of AI. So therefore, we didn't go after the core of AI. Instead, we took all of their core AI capabilities, combined them, and added our own flavor and kind of fit in the gaps. And that's what, for example, allowed us to have the best-in-class AI capability uh, without having to spend billions of dollars that we obviously didn't have uh, to build it from scratch. And how do you, how do you, you mentioned one thing that was very interesting as well. So the, the monitoring of how people actually use uh, the tools that you build out. So how do you monitor them? Is there, is there widgets that you, you build out or is it something that you've coded, uh, you know, internally that tracks user behavior within the app? How do you actually, how do you actually get that data? Yeah, we have a bunch of ways to track data with the app, see what's what's our most popular use features and what's not. You know, there's always room for improvement even there, but uh, we have kind of done that. There's also ways, for example, on our app that we track, actually we have screenshots of how people are using our app. And so we see that, and it's not even screenshots, actually it's like basically videos, but we, and of course, any, any private stuff is kind of uh, taken away, like if they're putting in like an email, for example, but otherwise uh, it kind of shows the entire flow of using the app. And that allows us actually in two ways. One is if there is a bug, we can check that and say, okay, hey, where did they get stuck? Is this a user error? Is it a bug or something else? Um, if someone complained, let's say someone reached out about like some support question, uh, but it also helps us understand, okay, hey, maybe people are missing this new feature that we have there, or um, you know, this can be optimized and so on. So being able to actually see it, uh, even in those kind of ways, is is quite uh, useful beyond just looking at the data. And then, how did you actually? As okay, so now you have a great product. Um, how did you actually find that product market fit? How did you close your first customers for Qual Sites? How did you scale the company? Um, was it was it uh, pure sales and marketing? Did you go raise more money and then you reinvested that? Uh, what was that sort of? What was that process? Yeah, no, we were very, very scrappy. Uh, so 2018 is when we pivoted officially to Qualsight. We changed the name, I think, even like September 2018, but we pivoted to Insights in early 2018. Um, and that first year was honestly all about uh, just getting our name out as much as we could. Um, and we didn't really have much money to do so, but we were like reaching out, using our network and kind of getting a bunch of calls. Um, and we kind of used those calls again to learn, you know, how our products stick, stuck and what else we could do. And in that first year, because we came in with this live video technology, when we would show clients our tech, 
they would just be blown away. They'd be like, wow, we've never seen anything like it where people can be like walking around and you can kind of see them and kind of be there without being there. It was like so far ahead, which was a good thing, but also a bad thing. Because most of the time they were very excited. I mean, all the time they were very excited, but most of the time the reaction was, oh, this is amazing. Never seen anything like it. Let me think about the right project. And the next time we have the right project, we'll get back to you. So what we realized after enough of those folks saying, this is amazing, but we have to wait for the right project. We're like, we're too ahead of the game. Uh, it's something that people are interested in, they aspire to, but this is not something that feels niche right now. Mm -hmm. It's too far ahead. And so what can we do to kind of really kind of be better? And that's where we realized is unlike in Quant, you've got Qualtrics, you've got SurveyMonkey, you've got big players, uh, in, including some startups that are doing really well and catching up. In Qual, on the other hand, in our industry, yeah, there's a few startups, but there's no clear leader. There's not one company that anyone can tell you is the leader in Qual. And we're like, wait a second, why do we want to be this live video, qualitative ethnography kind of leader, where, which we already were instantly because there was nobody there, still isn't. But how can we kind of really own qual? How can we be the Qualtrics or Survey Monkey of the qualitative industry? Um, and that's where that 2018, late, late in 2018, early 2019, we started to build horizontally and add the recorded videos and the photos and the barcode capture and the screen capture and all of the methodologies we knew that were important to have a one-stop shop toolkit for any quality researcher to just have one platform because the market is fragmented. You had startups doing one little thing, doing it well, but doing one little thing. And therefore, as a client, as a brand, you'd have to actually end up going to multiple vendors to have these deep insights. Mm -hmm. We said, why not have it on one platform? And then there's all these benefits to mix and match these methodologies in one place, plus have all the AI to help it analyze it faster. And so we built like the ultimate tool in learning from customers, even customers who didn't buy from us or didn't buy from us yet, went really back in in 2019. And that's where we started to kind of get more clients pick up. And it was all through either just reaching out bound cold, yeah. which worked really well. We practiced that at 500 startups and they taught us that and worked really well. Initially, it's harder now because most people are doing it, right? So there's a lot much more noise. Uh, but uh, we also, you know, got lucky at a couple conferences and events. We met some really solid clients and then they become our active clients. And so that's how it all began. And then, of course, uh, it started to snowball from there. And did you, uh, so that's actually very interesting. So would you actually recommend that to, to companies? Because you almost, you, 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 you built this leading product in a certain uh, niche and then you almost went into more competitive industries just so it would be easier to sell. Like it's almost the, the opposite of what most people I, I assume would think, oh, I want to go into Blue Ocean. I'm a leading product and I'm so innovative. No one's ever done it before. It seems so, it seems like such a great idea. There's no competition. So you actually built out a core set of features that infringed on a whole bunch of other companies that were already in very well-established markets. And that's actually how you got momentum. It is. Because we were able to kind of take, for example, an interview, right? An interview and focus group, if you ask me, like, I think those are nice for certain things. But for many of the behavioral insights that we encourage our clients to get to get these deeper, more authentic insights, those are not the right tools at all. Hmm. That said, our platform does offer and is used for interviews and focus groups. But many of those clients are bought in to start with that where they're like, oh, I could use like a Zoom or any other kind of tool nowadays, right? To like to do an interview, but it doesn't have research features like a back room and all the stuff that they would need. So we, we beat out the, the standard tools of that. However, where we really get them is like, did you know you can analyze this data so much faster with our AI? So then they'll look at IA and they'll be like, wow, yeah, man, this is so much better than my handwritten notes and all the other, you know, older processes I should I used to do. And now we're like, oh, and now, like a couple of weeks or a few months later, 
Did you know that you could also do this without even doing an interview and actually see somebody cook or seeing somebody open your product and unbox it and use your product or whatever it may be without having to do an interview because they can do it at their own pace. And you can have many more consumers, so a larger sample size and analyze it as fast because now you know our AI, how good it is. And they're like, yeah, and so you kind of get them in on where they are and upgrade them to what the future is that we already had built. And so that's sort of been our strategy. And yeah. sometimes you go that way. Other times you've got companies who are super ahead of the game and they get the, the cutting edge stuff and they'll come right there. But many of the companies still need, they're somewhere within that spectrum. And so our offering supports any any company regardless of where they are in that spectrum. Very smart. Um, and after after you, obviously, you took this to market um, and then you started to build out all these ancillary features that actually allowed you to uh, capture more customers and actually and sell um did you go and raise more money or did you just did you just grow with your own revenue no no we did uh in the last couple of years we've been going with our own revenue which is great but uh uh prior to that yes we did so we haven't in the grand scheme of things though since 2012 i can't it's, it's going to be in two months it's going to be 10 years which is insane it is insane that's uh, a long time but... years, <laughs> just about yeah just about 3.5 uh million okay. um you know not including a current round but um Essentially, so that's, uh, you know, what we did. So we were very capital efficient uh, while we'd raised 3.5. It was over 10 years. That's uh, it's not bad. very, very, um, you know, yeah, exactly. It's very uh, capital efficient for what we've been doing. Very good. Okay. And where do you, where do you want to take this? Like, what's the, what's the end goal for you as an entrepreneur? You're 10 years in. That's a long time for an yeah. entrepreneur. So where do you want to go with it? Yeah, persistence has been also a big, uh, you know, advantage of ours. You know, it's been required, of course, and it's something, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's something I'm proud of, right? Um, but we knew, like, it's, we wouldn't have been this persistent if we didn't know we wanted something. And now, finally, the results have shown. You know, we're the fastest growing company in Illinois. We are 282 in the Inc. 5000, um, and you know, things are going really well. We've had 20 20x growth in the last three years uh, in terms of revenue. Um, our goal, though, is we're not, you know, we want one of those where I didn't, if I wanted to kind of try and flip this, we had great IP all along the way that I could have, you know, sold for a decent sum and at least for personally been, you know, quite set. But that's not what my goal with this is. Money has not been the primary factor. Of course, money helps and that's a byproduct. Our, our bigger vision here is to kind of build a product that truly makes an impact in this world and really um, you know, it's cheesy, but in our industry to kind of really kind of change the way people build, like I'm all about innovation, right? That's my biggest passion is, is tech innovation. And if we can help clients in a variety of industries help be better innovators, which then in turn helps consumers have better products, that would be the ultimate goal and that success uh, for us. And of course, the byproduct of doing that uh, would uh, result in uh, great uh, value to all of our investors and ourselves. Uh, but the primary kind of driver is that. Um, and and future predictions for consumer insight trends in the next five to ten years. How granular are we going to be able to get in terms of what we can understand from a customer? Like it's all it's it's very it's, it's very topical now. Like how much data yeah. we can get from people. So where do you think this is going? It's insane. And uh, maybe in a future one, I'll disclose more because we have already the next innovation that good. Is we'll do another out. one. We'll uh, do another. I think show. we're launching. Uh, it's within, of course. Now we all we're not pivoting anymore, but. Within our industry, it is, it's funny you use the word granularity because that's the word we use, you know, behind the scenes right now, we're still in stealth mode with it, but it's just a whole new level that's never been remotely seen before. And so we're super excited about it. Uh, but it's something where, uh, unlike like the Facebook kind of model, right? Where you have, you know, a social media platform and all these users and you get data. And then of course the issue right now is 
A, how much data are you collecting? And then B, uh, you're not getting paid for your own data and these companies are making billions off of you. Our goal is very different. Our goal is people, and we already, right, people get paid to do these research studies. They get paid quite handsomely, actually, way more than a survey would give you. Because surveys are, you know, sense. This is, you know, people would make a significant amount of money working, you know, uh, on a platform if they get selected for projects, that is. And so helping people make money for their data, but them sharing data that is not private, per se. It's like, you know, it's things that I'm willing to share because it's, you know, how I use certain products or how I, you know, do a certain activity at home or how I shop for certain products. So it's just kind of understanding my mind and my behavior in a non-intrusive way and making money uh, as a result. And so therefore, I think there's a capability without going into technical details, there's some really interesting things uh, that uh, are going to come uh, both from us and I think in the industry as a whole that uh, take advantage uh, of that and be on the right side of the whole privacy equation be on the right side of the paying consumers for their data equation, and at the same time bringing value to clients to understand behavior and uh, helps, hence building better products that help everybody who uses those products. Sorry about that. Uh, no, a few things A few things to, to close out just so um, I, I want to get some of your, your socials and your website, but then I want to do some rapid fire questions as well. Um, but before, sure. before we go into that, uh, just some closing thoughts, anything else that you wanted to, to bring up about Qualsites or, or, or anything that you've learned from your experience building out um, and pivoting three times and all these different entrepreneurial <laughs> lessons, uh, floor is yours. I think uh, the thing I always recommend, you know, young guy, I, I got a lot of help along the way, right? Uh, so much advice, so much help, and it's it's great, you know, to have that. And I think the thing I personally learned and I always like to share is there's like the three Ps uh, is what I call it, uh, of, of an entrepreneur or, of, uh, you know, of, of this journey. One is passion, right? So pick something you're passionate about. Uh, if you don't, you're not going to survive 10 years. <laughs> no, no chance, right? Um, and, uh, and sometimes you need to survive 10 years or many more, right? So that's important so that you're excited about what you're doing uh, for the long term. Um, persistence, right? You're going to have a lot of things in your way, a lot of ups and downs. You know, we ourselves have, for example, multiple times in the course of this last 10 years got down to a last, you know, couple thousand dollars in the bank, right? And so um, you'll face some really crazy challenges and some, you'll get a lot of no's, uh, but you have to stay persistent through that as long as, of course, you have a strong belief in your product and you know you, you've got something. And then finally, I think the ability to pivot, the third P, pivot, um, is another important one. Like, there's, it's rare to find companies today uh, who start doing this and by the end of their journey, stay doing that. It's almost always some sort of, whether it's a drastic pivot like ours or it's other kind of iterations, uh, it's rare that you start with something, you stick with that. And so your ability to learn, your ability to kind of adapt to the market, to sometimes even cannibalize yourself, is going to be very important to kind of stay ahead of the game. And so those are the three things. Very smart. Uh, all right. So wh where do people go and connect with you? Um, all of your social, your personal socials or the website, um, you know, all, all that stuff, Qualsite socials, uh, any links you want to drop? Yeah. So for me, uh, it's LinkedIn, you know, so Nihal Advani is, uh, you know, URL slash Nihal Advani uh, is me on LinkedIn. And then, of course, Qualsites is everything Qualsites. So you've got LinkedIn, you've got think we're doing some stuff finally on Twitter now. Uh, we're not as active yet, uh, but uh, yeah, those are perhaps the two most uh, easiest ways to find the company Perfect. as well. Okay, let's do a couple of rapid fire. So the biggest challenge that you've overcome in your personal or professional life, what was it? How did you overcome it? And what did you learn from it? You know, it's actually uh, one that happened uh, just past year and it was both. Um, 
it was actually we lost our CTO um, this past uh, year due, due to COVID, you know, in May. And so uh, it was a terrible uh, time, very tragic. I was young um, and uh, mm, the entire team kind of went through this. And for me, I mean, for, for nine years of the 10, uh, he was my, my colleague and friend, uh, my first call in the morning, my last call in the night. And so um, very, very tough. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the team just really got together and, um you know, we could we didn't have much control over what happened. Obviously, we tried everything we could to, to give him the, the care he needs. But, you know, it, what had to happen happened. And uh, now we're kind of re-energized uh, to kind of do this, not just for all of our own ambitions and goals, but also for him. Uh, and it's been amazing to see the team to come together and really have, um, you know, an additional like driving force behind them and kind of just do this in his honor. So, that's, yeah, that's tough. That's I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, but glad to hear that that the team uh, got through that okay that's that's not easy um especially mm -hmm. for you uh if you had to choose one person obviously there's been multiple but pick one person who's had an incredible impact on your career who was it and what did they teach you i'd say for my but advisors i mean i've had many people who have impacted me in, in many ways um but uh, one of our advisors, Mohan Sani, uh, he's actually uh, one of the top professors at Kellogg. I think he's Associate Dean of Innovation now at Kellogg. And uh, he's been my advisor from the early travel days. Uh, and he's kind of really helped us. He's one of those like really big thinking guys. Like I'll take maybe like a few weeks to come up with something really nice. I'll start to talk to him about it. He'll get it in like two minutes. Like he'll, <laughs> he'll get there. Like he's, he's, he's like a different level. And uh, it's just amazing to be able to ideate with folks like that. We have some amazing advisors, including him uh, involved. And uh, to be able to ideate from him, learn from him. And uh, he's been really, really uh, generous with his connections. He's helped us bring on investors, you know. Uh, uh, he's introduced us to investors, introduced us to clients because he gets so many uh, folks that he, you know, come to him and learn from him. And so I think all around, he's one of those advisors that has kind of helped us in every way possible. And I strongly encourage startups to, to get active uh, advisors and, uh, you know, advisors like that who are willing to, to raise, uh, you know, pull up their sleeves to help you. Yeah, perfect. No, I agree. Um, a book or podcast you'd recommend people go check out that's had an impact on your life? You know, I actually do, don't read full books. It's kind of funny. I mean, I'm very, very, I have crazy work hours. But what I do do is this uh, app called Blinkist, where it's basically an audio book, but it's also 15 minutes, you know, 8 to 15 minutes. And so using that, I, I do a bunch. And the recent one I thought that was really great was uh, Blitzscaling. Um, so, uh, yeah. Very good. Very uh, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Quit faster, uh, you know, uh, start faster. I, I, while I, there was a lot of benefits and I really enjoyed Microsoft. I have great things to say about them. Um, if I had to do it over, I would do it faster. Um, so that would be my, my advice to myself. And then last question, what does success mean to you? Yeah, I think we covered some of that, but it's really, for me, it's like, I really want to make an impact in this world. I want to, you know, build an innovation that kind of helps uh, companies and others, uh, that to me is successful where uh, we can be recognized for all of our great tech and innovation that helps other companies innovate. Uh, that's the number one uh, driver for me. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink 
what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 